Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. Hi guys, I hope you're well. As always, we're really quickly going to run through the itinerary so you're all familiar with exactly what we're going to be discussing on this week's episode. We were joined by a very special guest in Daniel's story and we spoke to him about the alleged racial abuse incident that Rudiger faced in the Spurs versus Chelsea game. We also spoke about Boris Johnson's pledge to invest 550 million in uh, grassroots football over the next 10 years. We reviewed the weekend's fixtures, of course, and brought back the unpopular opinion and rounded the episode off with the prospect of the week. Stay tuned and Merry Christmas. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. As always, I'm your host, Budge. And I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators, Dot and Dej. Gents, how's it going? I'm very well, Budge, man. How are you, bro? I'm good, man. Feeling really well-rested this weekend. Um, ever so close to Christmas. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it, man. Looking forward to eating lots, sleeping lots. Yeah. I've, I've still got work. I'm, I'm working tomorrow. Yeah, same, I'm same, same, Christmas unfortunately. Eve, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not man. long left, not yeah, long left. Yeah. <laughs> how about you, Dej? How you, how you doing? Yeah, I'm very well. Been a good weekend so far. You know, Friday we went on Free and Midfield podcast. Yeah. Which went yeah. down a Shout treat. Shout out to those guys. Shout yeah. out to Kojo and the team. So, you know, yeah, man, it's been a good weekend. Yesterday, there was a lot of football. Yeah, yeah. So, I know we're going to get stuck into that. So, yeah, I'm ready. I can't wait. 100%, man. Um, and so, we're also joined uh, by a very special guest. Unfortunately, um, uh, he, he's not able to join us in the studio. Um, but 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 now we have the capability of uh, using um, uh, a conference. And so, we are, um, we're, we're joined via, uh, via conference by our, our very special guest who's, who's up in Nottingham at the moment. Um, and and, and we, we are very, very pleased to have him on. 
Um, uh, he uh, actually started off his journey uh, having studied accounting and finance uh, mm. at, at university <laughs> before making the very seamless uh, transition <laughs> into journalism and media. <laughs> he, um, he created his own football blogging website called uh, Played Off The Park before joining Sky as a football writer and journalist. He was a, a freelance content writer for the Media uh, Group UK, where he created a 15,000 word feature for the uh, Football Association's 150 year anniversary. Must have felt like writing a dissertation again. <laughs> um, and, and most recently, he's sort of done work for uh, Football 365, BT Sport, 442 and, and BBC Sport, amongst others. He's uh, the best thing out of Nottingham since uh, ibuprofen was created there in 1961 <laughs> and Boots was founded there in 1849. Carl Froch won't be happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> Nottingham's finest boxer. <laughs> but without further ado, we welcome our very special guest, Daniel Story, to the platform. Welcome, 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 welcome. welcome. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thank yeah. you for coming on. 100% Daniel um, you know we really appreciate it of course we know it's uh, it's late it's a Sunday evening and, and, and so close to Christmas but we really, really do appreciate you finding the time to, 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 to join us on the platform and we're really looking forward to picking your brains and getting your, your thoughts and views on some of the uh, content that we're going to discuss on, on this week's episode um, so where we wanted to start off with was um, the newly crowned club world champions um, Liverpool uh, having uh, beaten Fl uh, Flamengo courtesy of a, mm -hmm. a goal from uh, 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 Roberto Firmino. Mm -hmm. um, and what we wanted to essentially ask you, um, Daniel, is your your thoughts on, um, you know, that sort of championship as a as a whole um, and, and, and where it stands in terms of uh, um, sort of profile, uh, importance and that kind of thing. Of course, from a financial perspective, I think Liverpool uh, earned four million or so from from from, from taking part in that. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of uh, a major major trophies mm. um, and and the glamour of, of of that competition, is it something to sort of you know harp on about and write home about, or is it just a, a glorified <laughs> international um, community shield? Uh, or, <laughs> I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that, Daniel. What what, what do you think? I think if if it came at the end of the season, if it came maybe a week after the Champions League final, let's say, it's hard to place at any point in the football calendar because it's so busy. But I just think it coming mid-season kind of feels to all of us a bit like, a, oh yeah, the Club World Cup, that kind of thing that interrupts the Premier League season every now and then when one of the English teams wins it. Uh, and it, it does come at the end of the South American season. So I think for those clubs, uh, it's certainly a bigger thing. They've typically been the teams that have got to the final with, with the European team. Uh, but Liverpool will will obviously enjoy it. They will see it as another marker of how far they come of, have come as a club because mm -hmm. they have never won it before. Whether it's a, a seen as a big trophy or not, it's a new thing for them. Mm -hmm. And that I think it's that new thing that net another step that they've never taken before. You know, they're trying to win their first Premier League title. Mm -hmm. They've won the first Club World Cup. They've won another Champions League title. I think they just see it as another marker of, yeah, we're the best and, and this is more proof of it. 100%. And we obviously have our two resident uh, <laughs> Liverpool fans in, in, in the building. So I want to hear from you guys too. What, what are your thoughts yeah, on that? First of all, can we please refer to Liverpool as the world champions now? <laughs> um, world European. It feels like, you know, world is taking that one step further. And mm -hmm. to be honest, people talking about whether it's a glorified community shield. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you watch those two teams contesting that final, 
you could see that it was a serious game. Mm. I mean, both teams put their hearts on, on the line. I mean, Flamengo in particular, you could see they were challenging for every ball, mm. trying to win that game. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, first half, Liverpool should have probably put the game beyond them. They had two chances, courtesy of Firmino, who scooped mm-hmm. the ball over, and Naby Keita, who didn't make contact with the ball. But um, if we're just going to talk generally about the competition, I think, I mean, you take any trophy, mm. I mean, as a football player, I mean, Liverpool have won, what, now three this calendar year, mm-hmm. Champions League, Super Cup and the World Club Championship. So, as Daniel rightly said, this is a step in a new direction. It's a competition. As a player, you've got your winner's mindset. Mm-hmm. Winning breeds winning. And this is another trophy on the board for Liverpool. Yeah, and Klopp was, you know, talking about it in his um, pre-match press conference that he's trying to change the mindset of this competition because in South America, this is their, you know, biggest game of the season. Go out there and bring this trophy home to your nation and your continent. But whereas in England is, okay, if you win, well done. And then the next game is Leicester. Mm. So the, the mindset is different. And I think with the way Liverpool approached the two games, a lot of people will see that this is a credible tournament because mm-hmm. both of the games were tough. Mm-hmm. Like moments in the game, I thought, wow, we may actually lose it. And mm-hmm. I was going to be very disappointed if we don't win it. So mm-hmm. I think maybe this could be a watershed moment for that for this competition in mm-hmm. Europe and um, teams will start taking it a bit more seriously because it is a, it's a prestigious trophy at the mm-hmm. end of the day and I'm happy to bring it home. Fair, fair point. All right. Now, um, Daniel, what we tend to uh, do um, often on the on the platform is that we will uh, talk about really sort of more macro um, level topics before sort of delving into uh, the weekend's fixtures. Um, and we found a really, really good opportunity to do that and sort of tie it in with, um, you know, one of the, the, the biggest fixtures of this weekend uh, and today. Um which was between um, sort of Spurs and, 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 and Chelsea. So we are going to go into uh, sort of uh, analysis of the game uh, in particular. But before we do that, um, we wanted to um, sort of highlight uh, some, some, some uh, uh, events of that game, uh, one in particular, and tie it in with a piece that you wrote recently. So it was a great piece um, that was sort of titled uh, Silence the Twats, uh, Football Has a Chance to Be Better. And in that piece, you were touching on so many different things, but in, in particular, it was around... Um, how we remove uh, and eradicate uh, mm. uh, discrimination in football in the game and, um, and, 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 you know, what sort of steps and measures can be taken in order to do so. And, mm. and, and looking at it from a, a wider uh, society and, and, and community uh, perspective. Um, and, and I think it, it was very, very timely uh, and poignant, uh, particularly with that game between uh, Spurs and Chelsea, because we heard of an incident um, uh, 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 of sort of racial abuse, uh, alleged uh, racial abuse against um, uh, Tony Rudiger. Um, and, you know, like I said, in, in, in that piece that you wrote, and we're certainly going to sort of share this so, you know, uh, the, the, the listeners can get a, um, a, an opportunity to, to, mm-hmm. to read it and, 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 and sort of um, understand your, your perspective and your point of view. But, um, you know, there were some really, really uh, interesting points that you touched on um, with that. So we wanted to use that as a starting point. Um, so in, in brief, um, you know, would you just like to just sort of review what that piece was all about, where it came from, what was the inspiration yeah. Behind that, um, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, a couple of months ago, we had the we had the England racism in Bulgaria and Montenegro, and that 
started a conversation around race when well, I didn't start, but it, it kept the conversation of racism in football at the very top of the agenda, uh, as it should be, because it needs to be, you know, it needs to be the highest priority to eradicate it. But there was a sense of this is going on over there. This is their problem. Uh, aren't these foreign fans incredibly ignorant and abusive? And doing that ignores the very real problems we have in the Premier League and in English football. Uh, and the the Tony Rudiger alleged abuse is not the first. It's not even the first in the last two weeks. So mm. let's not pretend we don't have a problem. Now, the piece was saying football mirrors. Football is the most influential thing in most influential cultural aspect of our society. I honestly believe that. So it reflects society. It cannot escape that. But as well as not being able to escape that, it can also choose to do more. Because it is so influential, it can choose to lead the way. It doesn't have to say, oh, well, this is society's issue, so what chance have we got? Racist people are racist, so they'll come to games and be racist. Actually, it can say, well, hang them out. Why don't we try and lead the way? Why don't we use our, um, our people of colour in the sport to try and lead a better example, to try and say, hang on a minute, this isn't acceptable and it never will be acceptable. And until we get rid of it in football, we're never going to get rid of it in society. So why don't we try and do our bit? Why don't we try and keep our own house in order? And then then we've got a chance of you know, attacking society's problems and then we can criticise other countries. But until we do that, you know, all we're doing is saying, well, it's not really our problem. And it's just, you know, we get that term now, what about it? And it is, it's the most prevalent term. And it's right. It's, we cannot sit there and say, oh, Bulgaria's got a disgrace if we can't get our own house in order. One of the points you made in the piece as well is about Boris Johnson, um, you know, using homophobic, homophobic language. Yeah. And I think he was made, you know, racial slurs, I think towards um, Muslim women when he compared yeah. them to, you know, letterboxes. And when you've got the figurehead of a country coming out and making these statements, it kind of emboldens people 100%. to, you know, like come out and do these crazy is, yeah. gestures and, and whatsoever. And also yeah. in a football game, when it's so impassioned, I think true people's characters come out. If you feel under strain or you're under pressure, you're going to revert to type. And it just shows yeah. that these people are, you know, they need to be kicked out of football. But again, it's the wider issue what are these governing bodies, particularly the FA, going to do about this to stop this from happening? Yeah, yeah because the FA are so quick to call out, you know, the Federation of Bulgaria or the Federation mm. of another particular country. But when it comes to themselves, they're all about sweeping under the carpet. There's so many incidents that have read their ugly head and, you know, the punishment has been minimal, minimal and not good enough. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we... The, the issue we've got, there's no doubt in this country, and I don't want to make a political stance, although I think I've been pretty obvious with my, my political stances on Twitter anyway, but if you've got a, a leader of the country who is uh, actively using racial, you know, racially in, incite, incited language and is the only punishment he has is promotion, you know, there is no, there may be, you know, there may, maybe he does get slammed on Twitter. Maybe people consider him a lesser person for doing that. But the reality is he suffers no consequences. His only consequence is continued promotion. That sends a message to people that not only is it okay to be racist, but or inside yourself and to hold racial views, but it's also okay to, you know, expunge those views and to, and to, you know, declare them and be almost proud of them. And that's that's a different issue entirely. You're absolutely right to say that the ramp like the rampant tribalism football now persuades people to do this. But the reality is is that 
no one does a racist thing. No one makes a monkey chant at a player unless they are racist. Yes, their, their, their support might have persuaded them to do that, but it, they are still racist and therefore there is no place for them in the game. Yeah, no, hundred percent, and I think it's um, sort of very timely that we um, was we're sort of t- uh, you know speaking about sort of Boris Johnson and, and whatnot, given the the recent general election, but also uh, because of a, um, a, a sort of a, a recent pledge that he made. So essentially, um, he came out recently and 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 said that he pledges uh, five hundred and fifty million um, for uh, investment to grassroots football in a bid to secure the twenty thirty World Cup. Um, and essentially what he wants to do is ensure that uh, in sort of the next 10 years, um, every family is uh, 15 minutes uh, max away from a really, really good uh, and well uh, maintained and kept pitch. Um, <clears throat> and sort of his view and, 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 and thoughts are that investing this kind of money into grassroots football will sort of strengthen our bid to host the uh, 2030 World Cup. Um, so what I wanted to uh, to ask you, Daniel, is sort of a one, um, you know, h- how true uh, um, and, and realistic do you think this is? Do you think this is a, a promise that will sort of be followed through um, and, and up, up, upheld? And two, is is that level of investment the correct level of investment? Um, and is it be is it being invested in the right things? Um, if we're talking about uh, uh, hosting a the, the, the sort of the World Cup. Um, should we be seeing um, and, and looking for investment into perhaps other ancillary uh, um, uh, uh, sort of type um, uh, uh, things? So, you know, uh, uh, restaurants and hotels and, and, and you know, the, 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 the additional things to supplement the, uh, the you know, the, the, the football side of things, essentially, to make it a, a more luxurious destination to, to, to land that tournament. Yeah, I mean, hosting international tournaments has always been a, uh, I'll, I'll put it nicely, a shady business um, because it requires a huge commitment to um, showing off and making vast promises. And to be honest, the same is true of winning general elections. Um, the the current government can can make promises on, on investing in grassroots, but the reality is that they have already been in power for uh, a decade. And over that decade, we've seen a huge reduction in funding for the grassroots facilities, for for the education system, which actually provides a huge amount to, to children's sport anyway. Um, there's no doubt that that investment is required. Uh, I don't know if it should all come from government. I think that I, I personally think that there should be a greater tax on Premier League clubs to distribute some of their wealth further down, not just down the league ladder, but to grassroots level. Uh, I understand that that's probably a slightly uh, kind of pie in the sky thinking because it requires them to share some of their wealth, which they may be unwilling to do and have been in the past. But yeah, we've clearly we've not. It's a hard one because it's a it's such a long term issue that you never really get to see the benefits of the promises you make, and those sort of promises are in in manifestos in general and. General election manifestos always worry me and and put me off because I think if you're promising something over a ten year period, mm. you don't know whether you're going to be in power in five years. So yeah. is that really going to happen, or is it just yeah. a nice buzzword to get? <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah. yeah, you know, I I, 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 you know, I'm not anarchistic. I'm not against all power, but I'm predisposed to mistrust long-term promises that government make particularly on something like football because as i say it's so influential it's such a big winner 
all the three main parties had things at the moment on safe standing. They all had things on grassroots facilities in football because they realised that football has kind of been ignored by government for too long. So, yeah, there's no doubt investment's required. You know, I play grassroots football and, and you know, you see horror stories of at kids football of just cripplingly low and cripplingly poor facilities. So they need money. Mm. I don't know of just a wide promise, oh, we'll do this. I don't trust that, quite frankly. Fair point, fair point. Thank, thanks for sharing your, your views on that, Daniel. Um, so now we're going to sort of uh, go and delve into the, the game itself. Um, I think it was a very, very uh, important game and, and arguably the, the most important of the weekend, given the fact that after the loss to Bournemouth last week, um, you know, this, this game was, was important. It was essentially a six-pointer um, because a, a, a win would have seen uh, Tottenham uh, 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 sort of uh, overtake uh, Chelsea in, 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 in the Premier League table. Um, so, uh, um, Dot, do you want to take us away on, on your views on the game? Yeah, um, Chelsea got their tactics spot on. When I saw the team shit, I was a bit baffled thinking, hmm, Frank Lampard, this is a bit pragmatic. This is a bit defensive. Um I predicted a, a Tottenham win because I just thought Jose Mourinho's know-how will get the better of Frank Lampard here. But the game started and Tottenham started off slow and Chelsea were really, really on the front foot. Kante and um, Kovacic in the centre mid were just bossing the game. And like there was just so many gaps emanating on the counter-attack. William was deadly. Mm. Um, Mason Mount, yeah, Mason yeah. Mount was picking up good positions mm-hmm. in that number 10 role. And Tottenham just looked confused and lost. So, obviously, um, Chelsea went 1-0 up with a great goal from William. Um, well-worked corner. Mm-hmm. And then William just cut in and just smashed it into the bottom corner. Don't you think it was poor defensive play by Aurea as well? It he was. He wasn't switched on. He wasn't switched on, but that's what Aurea does. So, why are you surprised? Yeah, I just think when you know a player like William, he's got this trick in his lock away. He tries to steal a yard. Yeah, but we know shoot. that Aurea lacks concentration. So... Mm-hmm. We're just highlighting the same problem that we see every week with him. Yeah, I think at the top level, as a defender, obviously I used to play fullback, and seeing that goal was a uh, was poor. I mean, mm. it's poor professionalism. Um, Uri, as you said, he lacks professionalism, but I think you've got to be doing better to mm. you know counteract that that goal, in my opinion. But yeah, talking about the game, as Dot already mentioned, um, Chelsea started very very well. It was like master, you know, the apprentice. Mm-hmm. And we saw last mm-hmm. season that um, Lampard took his side to Old Trafford against Mourinho and ended up winning the game. And you could see, even the way Lampard walked into the stadium, that he was a man destined on getting a job done. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what he ended up doing. But I think what Chelsea showed was this still that people mm. were starting to say they lacked. Mm. They were first to the tackle in their duels. They were winning them. Mm. I mean, 100%. Harry Kane was, you know, rendered null and void for that game. And, and I think the red card for Rudiger kind of helps. I mean, Son. yeah, the red card yeah, yeah. for Son mm-hmm. kind of helps Mourinho because they were getting outplayed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. obviously and us talking about excuse. the red card, yeah, gives mm-hmm. him an excuse because Chelsea were, you know, tremendous in that game. And, for the top four race, people were talking about them. You know, they're going to slip out of it. But I think what they showed is that they've been going through a blip, but they're back on page now. And mm. what Lampard's done is when he's struggling, he's reverted to that back three. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, mm. it's bailed him out. And we saw that again today. Mm. Daniel, do you feel that uh, the uh, red card for Son was, was harsh or do you think it was justified? I think it was probably a red card. 
it's difficult when you actually look. I, I went and had a little look through the laws, and it's obviously it talked about violent conduct and blah blah blah. I, I don't think it was uh, a horrific incident. I don't. I think Rudiger overreacted, but the reality <laughs> is is that the reaction doesn't doesn't matter to the people making the decisions, and that's mm. the VAR check. Uh, it was a, a laughable overreaction, but uh, it there was no need to do it. And it was a stupid, stupid thing to do, particularly at a time when players at some point will realise that VAR is watching everything they do. So mm. when you slow an instant like that down, it always looks worse. But actually, even on first viewing, I thought you could, you could see, I was watching on TV, and you could see even from live viewing that the foot moved again, and he didn't need to do that. Yes, and that's, where, to, that's where he finished himself. Yeah, and the yes. only reason to do that was to make contact with, with Tony Rudiger. So it was a stupid thing to do, it really was. Thanks for that, Daniel. Um, so now, guys, Daniel's dropped off, and we're going to move on with the other game of Super Sunday, which was played at Vicarage Road, Watford hosting United and winning 2-0. Dej, take us away. I mean, my United's problems on this show are well documented. I mean, we all know against the top six sides, they perform admirably, exploiting the space, running in behind. But when they've got a resolute defence to unpick they struggle. I mean, 14 points in six games against the top six, 11 points from the other games against the lesser sides. I mean, this Man United side, we all know how they're going to perform. It's, it's sort of predictable, you know, the results they're going to get. But today, you know, all their problems were from their own undoing. I mean, we saw David De Gea raise ugly head. I mean, that was <laughs> such a basic error. Like, I couldn't believe it when it happened. I was thinking, wow. Am I actually seeing this? He actually, you know... I thought, tri- it, was, I thought it was match-fixing. <laughs> yeah, it was that bad. I mean, he was treating the ball like a bar of soap, you know, and it slipped in, <laughs> you know, into the goal. Then after that, you know, shortly after that, it was like Man United had like a two-minute moment of madness kind of thing. After that, Wan-Bissaka, who I'm a big fan of, you know, he sliding tackles. You know, he got one horribly wrong. You can see on his face that you think, wow, I've had a mare. Like, what was he thinking? <laughs> I mean, but Watford, to be fair, they put in a game performance. Even before that, they were, you know, letting their intentions be known that we're going to work hard. You know, they ran 5k and more than Man United. Dini covered nearly a k and more than Martial. So they're all about hard work and making themselves difficult to beat. Something which we didn't see under, you know, Kike Sanchez, Flores and Javi Garcia. I mean, Dini scored a pen against United in four of the last five seasons. He was a pillar for this um, Watford side. And I always said that for Watford to get safe, they need him fit and firing. And I thought he led the line well. And, you know, for Watford, it's onwards and upwards. Yeah, it's interesting because on a weekly basis on this podcast, I come on and I say Man United, they're a mid-table team. So expect mid-table form. They're going to win some games. They're going to lose some games. Man United have 25 points after 18 games. That's the worst points tally in the history for them in the Premier League. And I mean, people say Ole Gunnar Solskjaer turned the corner when he got the two wins back-to-back in the big games. But I was like, this doesn't tell me anything. These are just two results that Man United can get because they're good when they're playing against a team that attacked them so they can now counter and exploit the space. Um... Just just to go into the game, I think Man United it was it was a real rancid performance. Um Martial again he was in and out of the game, ineffective. Um when Pogba came on, the team looked a bit better. I'll give them that. Um but again this Man United team, I think they're gonna be far off top four this season because I just don't see 
them, you know, stringing a consistency to go on a run of games and, and win. But just to talk about Watford, I think this is a massive, massive three points for them. I think to a T, they were they were really solid. And, you know, Nigel Pearson seems to have get it, got a tune out of them. Two clean sheets as well against Palace. Yeah, and yeah. Obviously, they perform admirably against Liverpool of as course, well. Of course, of course. And we said that they look dangerous against mm-hmm. Liverpool. And if they continue to play like that, they're going to pick up some results. But I just want to shout out Delafu, um the Corre and Capoue, I think they were excellent. But are they talented today. or good players? Talented <laughs> players. And this is the point I'm trying to make. They can give you a big performance one in eight games, one in seven games, but they're not going to do it week in, week out. And that's why they're in danger. But we know that Watford playing at the top of their game, they're always going to be a dangerous team as we saw last season. And just to highlight Man United's issues, they've won one out of 17 games when they've had more possession than the opponents. So that shows, that highlights a clear creativity issue. I mean, Lingard, he hasn't scored in how many hours is it? Maybe 17 hours. It's coming up to a year, Dej. I mean, it's shocking. And and he had a big chance in the first half to put Man United ahead and he elected for, you know, like a mad chip, which was the hardest skill to exploit. And and that's what you're meant to be doing when you're on a rich vein of form. Like a Suarez, (laughs) you know, when he was at the peak of his powers, when you're trying new things. And for him to do that, just, it, it was poor. But again, Man United... We didn't really learn much. We know how they are against these bottom of the team, you know, teams. And yeah, final point on the game. You know, I'm trying to look a bit deeper into Man United's issues. And one thing that I was looking at was the the use of the fullbacks. And to be fair, I think Shaw and Aaron Wan-Bissaka could be the worst pairing of fullbacks when it comes to attacking. Because I was looking at their link-up play with the final third and it's really really poor sometimes they get the ball and they panic or they take too long on the ball and then the attack dies off so literally Man United are playing with the front three and Jesse Lingard who's like a false number 10 he doesn't really you know do anything so they're literally depending on three players to break down the defence and it's going to be difficult so they need to somehow find some creativity from somewhere hopefully Paul Pogba is going to aid with that as he returns to full fitness Cool. All right. So now we've covered the um, Super Sunday fixtures. We're going to move on to the games that were played on Saturday. Um, The biggest of them being the game between um, uh, City and Leicester, which was played at the Etihad. Um, Of course... Liverpool fans were looking at this one and were, uh, I, I suppose, perhaps looking for a, a City win just to uh, keep uh, Leicester off their, their heels a, li- a little bit. Mm. Um, and, and when they did, so City um, uh, won 3-1, goals from Jesus Mares and, and uh, a penalty from Gundogan, um, a, a goal from Vardy early on. Um, uh, what was sort of uh, uh, interesting and, and really sort of opened up the Boys, game. So that goal, man, the pace and power for that yeah. goal was, <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, yeah, was yeah. unreal. Frightening. 100%. Um, so just with that, um, please, Doc, take us away. What are your thoughts on that game? Yeah, I think this was a real lesson for this lesser team. Um, man City pretty much played them off the park. You know, I'm Brendan Rodgers' biggest fan, but he couldn't adapt to the situation. I mean, Riyad Mahrez and Kevin De Bruyne were just causing havoc all game and Brendan was too slow to try and nip it in the bud. Um, I mean, it seems like it's been a bad week for fullbacks because Pereira and Chilwell, they absolutely got pammed. I mean, they were struggling all game and they didn't really get the protection because 
Tillemans is not the best going backwards and Madison is also not great going backwards. So indeed he was left on his own to try and cover both sides and unfortunately he couldn't do it. Um, Man City played excellent football. I still see issues in this Man City team but it seems like they are picking up form and it's a great three points for them. Um, to be fair, you know, I was flicking in and out of that game. But from what I saw, I think Rodgers compromised the style that has got him so far this season. I think we saw Leicester that mirrored, you know, Claudio Ranieri. Let's sit back and wait and see what happens. And to a T, you can kind of understand where he's coming from because he would have done his match reports and realised that this was a tactic that served Chelsea well. This was a tactic that served United well. But I thought he could have been braver. And I think he sort of sat back and let's see what happened. Uh, and as we mentioned before, the fullbacks, I mean, Chilwell was on toast. I mean, we've seen it again this season before with, I think, Emerson Palmieri's defending of Riyad Mahrez, not showing him outside. As a fullback, you have to over-exaggerate your body movement and show them outside. And, you know, if you want, beat me, but you're going to cross it, not beat me on the inside. Yeah, but and I thought it was naive. You, you used to play fullback. When you say that, but when you're consistently getting beaten... Doesn't it knock your confidence and you start doubting your ability to defend and stop the situation? Of course. And that's where you have to say, you know what? I need help here. Obviously, indeed, he can't cover both sides. So that's when you have to maybe have a word with one of the other central midfielders and say, can you hang in there? I need a bit of support. and need a bit of help. And that wasn't forthcoming for this Leicester side. And it led to their undoing. Again, Pereira with the penalty as well. We saw Sterling <laughs> do him. I've never seen that happen to Pereira. Mm. Defensively, he's, you know, solid. But you could just see the waves of pressure, you know, take his toll on this Leicester side. And obviously, Brendan Rodgers will learn from that. Uh, and what did we learn from that game? Pfft, that Manchester City are going to, you know, fight to the end. We also learned that Leicester, they're not title challengers, in my opinion. But also their midweek exertions, you know, could have taken his toll because they had a tough, you know, Carabao Cup game against Everton. But their last three games are, you know, a draw against Norwich midweek winning on penalties, surrendering a two-goal lead and obviously losing against Manchester City. But again, as Brendan Rodgers said after the game, if you offered him second position after 18 games and a semi-final of the first cup competition of the season, he would have taken that with both hands. Absolutely. But I just want to, you know, shine a light on, you know, De Bruyne. He's the first player to register double figures for assists before Christmas since Ozil in 2015. I mean, that's a big achievement. And what I love about Kevin De Bruyne is he sees the game through a coach's lens. When he comes out after games and he talks about, this is what I'm doing, you know, this is why I'm doing it. And, you know, analysing the opposition's performances. Mm -hmm. like That's what I love about him. And I, and I read somewhere that he wants to go into coaching and you can see that happening. I was thinking the exact same thing when I was listening to him. Yeah, yeah like he sees it through a different perspective and he plays like that as well. That's why he streets ahead. Mm. Cool. All right. So thanks for your views on, on, on that game, guys. The next game we're going to analyse um, appeared last on Match of the Day um, uh, yesterday, and, and rightly so, because it was a, um, it was a, a, a board draw. What a drab affair. Uh, <laughs> it was. And I think, to be honest, um, sort of the pre-match billing, I think it was, it, was, it was an interesting tie, more so because of what what had happened off the off field the rather mm. than on the field. Um, it's like so a boxing match, you know, yeah. the build-up, then the match comes and you're like, oh, yeah. was that it? That was, <laughs> that was shit. Yeah, <laughs> honestly. And, and I think obviously with the fact that um, both of these teams had uh, recently appointed managers yeah. um, who, who, who viewed the game from the stands whilst the interim managers uh, sort of took, took, took their teams. 
Um, and so, you know, it, it, it was interesting, f- f- uh, you know, b- for that. Um, both of those uh, recently appointed managers, I'm obviously talking about Mikel Arteta for Arsenal and um, uh, Carlo Ancelotti for, for Everton. Uh, both of their appointments have been met with uh, mixed reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, so some people are, you know, just are happy for the breath of fresh air, a new a new voice to be heard around the, 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 the dressing room and, and in the team. Um, and, and others are thinking that both managers for, for, for similar reasons um, aren't necessarily the best appointments for those respective clubs at this present moment in time. Um, before we give our um, sort of uh, thoughts on the, the appointments, um, really quickly, let's review the game. I don't imagine there's going to be much to say, but go on, Doc, take I us mean, away. I mean, I Dej during the game and I said, this is the worst match of football I've seen all season. Mm. I mean, zero shots on target in the first 45 minutes. It, mm. was, it was absolutely dire. Both teams struggling for confidence. Both teams playing poor. Um, both teams lack penetration. I mean, it was like watching, no disrespect to Sunday League, but it was like watching a Sunday League match. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's not much to say about it. I'm just, <laughs> usually it's like I've got a workout and I'm just trying to say anything to give some sort of analysis. But mm. I think, you know, both managers need to come in and start implementing their styles because both teams have serious, serious problems. Um, on the positive for Arsenal, I think Granit Xhaka had a decent game. That's mm. not saying much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fullbacks, Ainsley Maitland, Niles and Saka, um, he's a really young lad well. as well to come yeah. in at left. And, and he's not actually uh, yeah. yeah. For him to come in and adapt to that position like a Doctor Water was really impressive. It was the uh, Arsenal's first clean sheet in in, in fifteen. Yeah. So they've got to give the kids credit. Yeah. They've got to give the um, kids credit. Um, Aubameyang's form is a bit of a worry. Um, mm. I feel like he's not playing well. He's not getting into the game. Um, the way he used to but I think Lundberg's comments on Ozil's were, were really really telling because I think that suggests to me that's a, that there's a real attitude problem amongst the senior players in that camp mm. for him to drop many of them and go with the youngsters over the senior pros mm. just shows me that these guys are having a walk in the park in the dressing room and I think Arteta said that he's going to come in and he's going to shake the trees so I'm excited to see how mm. it's going to culminate I mean as we mentioned you know before the game we saw Ancelotti flanked by, you know, Bill Kenwright and Fahad Mashiri. Mm-hmm. Then in the opposite side of the box, we saw Ateta being flanked by Edu, mm-hmm. Raul Sanlea mm-hmm. and Vinay Vinkateshan. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, f- for the players, when you're under that sphere of intensity, it's mm-hmm. very difficult to perform. Mm-hmm. You know that my future's on the line. I need to perform. Mm-hmm. So all of the tactics sort of go out the window. Mm. And you could see that. You could see nervousness from the players. Mm. I mean, David Luiz, I think I mentioned on free midfield podcasts, he's meant to be a stopgap, but he opens gaps in that defence. <laughs> and he was very rash with yeah. his defending. No, Clatter- well. He was clattering to people. He was so rash. He was a bit like, clumsy, but yeah. that's one of his but better games. That's one of his better yeah, games. Yeah, but I'm not sure if I like that. When you think of David Luiz, you think of more finesse. He's passing, mm. just clattering into people and you know Duncan Ferguson as well gotta give him credit mm-hmm. he steadied the tide here you know when Marco Silva was sacked everyone's like you know Everton they're in a bad run of mm. form look at their fixtures and he's got a win against Chelsea a credible draw against um, Man United mm-hmm. you know drawing against Arsenal mm. in the cup they came back from 2-0 down so he's kind of instilled back that Merseyside pride mm. into this Everton team and they can look forward but if you're going to ask me what I think about um, Ancelotti um, I think 
to use a boxing analogy, he's mm. probably looking for his last payday. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mind yeah. what managers earn and stuff, but yeah, apparently yeah, he's going to yeah. be the third highest paid manager in the world. Yeah. You know, is he going to have an Indian summer and change this <laughs> Everton side? Mm. I'm not too sure mm-hmm. because I think there's too much work. And as we've mentioned before, Ancelotti is a finisher. Mm. And when you look at this um, Everton squad, they've got too much work for him to go in and make an instant impact, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I think Farhad Mishiri, he's going to back his manager. And last week, mm. I agreed with Dej that this appointment is a bit of an odd one. But really and truly, when I thought about it, I'm thinking, hmm, Angelotti, he can do bits here. Mm-hmm. Like, so what's doing bits for him? Getting uh, Everton, Everton into the Europa League and pushing for top six. I think he's going to do that because this is still a top manager. Um, I'm not sure to be honest as I said you know when we look at his last two jobs he's really his performances as a manager really told off mm. especially if we're looking at Napoli as a point in yeah, case but Dad, we can't mm-hmm. just use that metric to write him off he still I'm has not... something to offer to the Premier League he's still a top mm-hmm. manager and one thing he... that he would do is make Goodison Park a fortress he was a top manager but can you trust him with this Everton team to make enough of an impact yeah, but there's no pressure on him to win a title there's no pressure on him to get top four Everton want to see attacking football and that's mm. what he's going to bring to Everton and he's a respectable figure in the game of course he's respectable mm. but when I look at this Everton side and the teams above them I can't see him breaking into that top six or seven mm. I believe Duncan Ferguson you know maybe to see them out to the end of the season then you know look at another option was the best idea I, I don't think D- Duncan Ferguson is sustainable I don't think he's a manager that can manage for, for more than 10 games he's literally 4 or 5 games and get him out of there because no. it's going to be too intense it's going to be too you know it's just going to be too sticky with him mm. so I think you need him for 3 or 4 mm. games to just settle the camp and then you get rid of him and get a long term replacement who is History. Angelotti but one thing I would say I want to just say congratulations to Duncan Ferguson for being the first manager in Premier League history for taking off a player that has come on from the bench back to back so well done to him yeah, I think up. history always something repeats up. itself when you, look at the, when you look at the fabric of a club you know Everton have done well under David Moyes mm. I think Everton are a certain type of club when they want to go for this as Farhad Mashiri sees it Hollywood it mm. always ends you know it doesn't end well and I think I don't think Ancelotti is a good appointment and I can see us by the end of the season saying you know what Everton have had a mare here because I can't see him being successful with this crop of yeah, players but final point on this is that mm. the thing is about Everton they've got the wheels in motion to actually be a decent club they've got Marcel Brands taking care of the football recruitment they've got Farhad Mishiri that has this vision of making Everton this great club again and mm. I think if you piece Ancelotti in that he can get the best out of this team because he is a top manager he was a top manager, but as I said, I don't believe this is going to end well. I think there's too much work that needs to be done. They're talking about Zlatan coming back and all <laughs> this kind of stuff. And it just seems that they need a different approach. Yeah. Go down, get your wheels in motion, get stability rather than, you know, get a top, top manager or a manager that was a top manager. So, yeah. Yeah. So we've obviously spoken a lot about the appointment of Ancelotti. I want us to move on and basically re- really quickly um, give our views on the appointment of, of Arteta as well because it wasn't just Ancel- Ancelotti that was appointed this, this, this weekend. It was, it was mm. also Arteta. Um, and I mean, essentially, there was a, a piece that actually uh, Daniel uh, wrote that I, um, I, I read that was really, really quite interesting. And he was speaking about the appointment of Arteta. And, and there was a particular quote that he mentioned, which was really, really creative. He mm. said... 
when evolution has failed, revolution is the only answer. And he he, he likened that to the appointment of um, um, uh, Arteta in the fact that you know he, you've you've got to break the mold and you've got to do something mm-hmm. that's maybe left field in order to get a different kind of 100%, result. Hundred percent. And what I think is very interesting about Arteta. And the fact that he's a, a new modern style manager and quite young and has fresh and new ideas is 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 what I think is is really interesting because of what he will use to his advantage. So a prime example, and I'm just going back to um, something that um, Dej mentioned earlier when he was speaking about the kind of the pressure that some of the players may have felt uh, in that game, thinking about their futures and whatnot. Arteta um, released a statement to the media and he was essentially saying that he is going to be watching from the stands and he is going to be monitoring everything. So what the players are doing without the ball, how hard they're trying, their body language, their facial expressions, all of those kind of things. Mm. And I thought that's very, very clever. And it's funny because because that seat gives them the best view to do that. Yeah, exactly that. Mm. And, And it's like you're indirectly telling these players you know your your place is up for grabs essentially play Mm. to wear that shirt and so I think it will be very interesting to see that's a a, you know a different dynamic using the 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 media to his advantage because he knows of course these players are going to read these 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 articles he knows that they're gonna they're gonna keep up to speed with 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 social media and whatnot so use them to your advantage in that way and I think that that is one thing in particular that will be very very interesting to monitor uh going forward um but yeah on on the appointment of of uh, uh, Mikel Arteta what are your views one thing I would say if football was one on words then Arteta has won the quadruple because his debut interview for Arsenal was was literally spot on he hit all the buzzwords um, I think Arteta is going to implement a style of football similar to what Pep Guardiola mm-hmm. has implemented at Man City Man City mm-hmm. has he got the current crop of players to do that maybe not but I feel that we're going to see the building blocks mm-hmm. laid for next season mm-hmm. and I see Arsenal having a clear out I see so many senior players um, future mm-hmm. with a question mark mm-hmm. even players like Aubameyang mm-hmm. and one thing Arteta will bring is he will restore the pride at the club. Mm. So he's only going to buy players or invest in players or play players that are going to play for the club. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be interesting to see the kind of job that Arteta does. I think it's a good appointment. I know Dej had reservations. Has. You mm. have reservations. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel that sometimes you just need something fresh. And Arteta mm. seems like he's got all the... Um, minerals to be a good coach in my humble opinion in my opinion I don't think it's a good appointment as I've said before I think Arsenal could have done with you know someone with much more experience Mm -hmm. I know we've heard about Arteta you know putting out the cones and doing team (laughs) talks and taking control of City for a week but Mm -hmm. let's just make it clear not all top assistants make good managers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've had a lot of um, coaches that have learned under Alex Ferguson, Steve McLaren, Carlos Queros, Mike Phelan. Mm-hmm. All these people are said to be, you know, good coaches, but they've gone on to, you know, a managerial career and it hasn't been successful. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a case of seeing what happens. But when you've got mentors like, you know, Wenger and Pep coming out and saying you're going to be a good manager, that bodes you well. But again, matches aren't won by chat they're won by action <laughs> and we're going to be able to see even though Arteta can deliver on his words because it's a tough tough job mm. so many fractions in the camp disgruntled fans players that don't want to be there players that have had it their own way for too long players That's like David Luiz David Luiz mm-hmm. that needs yeah. to be cleared out Aubameyang says he wants to win trophies and you've got youngsters but one thing that's good is he's got a good 
core of young players yeah, that he can yeah, coach and yeah. implement and that's one thing about Arsenal they've always had a clutch group of young players that mm-hmm. they can you know develop and you know turn into gems 100% moving on now uh, Aston Villa hosted Southampton at Villa Park um, some very very interesting um, uh, events t- uh, throughout that game um, worrying times for Aston Villa very um, you know another game lost uh, Dot take us away yeah, very, very worrying times for Dean Smith. Um, John McGinn picked up a nasty injury. Dean Smith said that's not looking good. Three months, they've come out and said... Yeah, so yeah, that's, that that's is... not good news. Mm. Losing your second best player mm. um, for that length at this time of the season when mm. you're in trouble is really, mm. really worrying. Um, credit to Southampton for bouncing back. Danny Ings is the first player to um, reach double figures before the turn of the year since... James Beattie um, the player before James Beattie was Matt Letizia so this just shows that this is not a regular occurrence for Mm -hmm. Southampton and as Carl Anker said on the podcast Danny Ings is scoring at a rate of Lionel Messi when it comes to goal conversion 7-7 and now yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. I think it's his 12th Premier League goal of the season and he's having the season of his life and the one problem with Danny Ings is that he was curtailed by injuries for several years but there's always been a top player in there Mm. and I'm good to see him it's good to see him reaching his potential this season I think only Jamie Vardy scored more than him in the Premier League this year yes yes wow that takes a struggling team yeah so you know to go into the game um, Southampton came into it being in the bottom three for seven of the last eight weeks which shows that you know they've been struggling they've taken some hammerings and some poundings and this game was one of those six pointers as they call it um, Aston Villa too many mistakes all three goals were avoidable marvellous Macambo yeah, what well, are you doing yeah mm. just put you on a tee for you know Danny Ings and <laughs> when you talk about what they can actually do about the current situation. Some people be like, you know what? They need to go into the transfer window and spend. But right now, they're in the midst of an FFP charge, you know, for Mm -hmm. spending 90 million. So in terms of adding, they have to think about selling some of their prize assets. So that leaves them in a perilous position. Mm -hmm. One win in nine games. Normally a manager's job will come under threat. But Mm -hmm. when you look at the quality in this Aston Villa side they're having to chop and change Tyrone Mings is injured mm. so they're finding makeshift defences so all is not well in Aston Villa and you know midweek we saw them beat Liverpool's under 12s everyone thought you know what <laughs> this is a bit of a confidence booster but you know what they've set back into what they've usually been doing which is being sloppy and giving away sloppy goals yeah but surely this Aston Villa team are underperforming because again you know I love expected goals expected assists mm. expected chances when you look at them, they're in the top table for, for all of them. So surely it's just a lack of a striker. Yeah, Wesley's coming. I mean, he scored a decent goal against, you know, the Liverpool youngsters. Good movement. <laughs> but that's not saying much. You need much mm. more from your striker. And he could argue that maybe he's not getting the service that mm. he needs to be able to finish. So, yeah, I just think Aston Villa are going to go down and it's going to be one of those mm. seasons. But at least they're going to be doing better than, you know, their last trip in the Premier League when they were getting pounded every week. Fair point. If they go down, does Grealish stay? Oh, come on, Budge. No. 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 Uh, I, think pe- I, th- I think teams are going to be sniffing around in January. I think... Because you said they're yeah, in a I perilous think- position. Before I even said that, I see him being an Aston Villa, you know, legend, staying there and coming back up. But when you look for the sake of his career, that guy's got too much quality to be languishing mm-hmm. in the championship. So I can see like a Leicester signing him, just save Madison goals or something like mm-hmm. that. Fair point. All right. Moving on. Uh, Norwich hosted Wolves at Carrow Road. 
Um, before I, I, I ask you guys to give your views on the game, and Dead, you're going to take us away on this one. I wanted to shine a spotlight on Adam Traore specifically. Say, 25 right? yellow cards. So, <laughs> 25 players have been booked fouling him so far this season, which is unbelievable. Um, and he started despite apparently dislocating his shoulder against Spurs a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's managed to recover and return at such a quick and alarming rate is mm. is is takes some great. Doing, it yeah. takes some doing. It's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And on top of that, I think the statement that he made on social media afterwards summed it up completely when he said, uh, and I quote, a victory that shows that we have warrior DNA. And that is true, particularly about that man. He truly has warrior DNA because, you know, he, he's such a physical specimen, you know. Mm. Even with his body type, like you, boxer, you can't, yeah, you, you wouldn't imagine, you, like, someone would be that quick and that fleet-footed having that kind of body type. Mm. He's so muscular, so so big. But, yeah, 100%, um, you know, he's having a great season um, and, and great certainly coaching improving. from Nuno, yeah, you know. 100%. Yeah, just to divulge into the game, I mean, him and his 16 goals for the season. But when we're actually breaking down into the game, Norwich were far the superior time team for the first you know 60 minutes or so they had so many chances to score obviously Campwell converted these chances very very well mm. but Pukki had a few 1v1s I thought Buendia I know Dot loves him he's a good player he, he was yeah. very very instrumental you know creating like 9 chances or mm. something for his um, fellow players but again Norwich they lacked that devilment and when we talk about devilment I think Pukki's got that devilment but Raul Patricio was in great form saving his mates, bailing them out. And, you know, for, for Wolves, it's back-to-back. I mean, it's back-to-winning games after an 11-match unbeaten run. Um, no wins at home since City on September the 14th for Norwich, which shows that they're likely going to go down because as a promoted team, your home games need to be a bedrock and not winning any games in like two, three months. I mean, that's not good enough. But again, I think when we talk about structures... Wolves came into this game knowing that if they tough out those tough moments, they'll go on to win the game, which is what they've done. And when you've got a prolific striker like Jimenez, you've always got a chance. I mean, I've gone on record to say I think this guy's better than Lacazette. People have laughed at me last season, but I don't think they're laughing now. <laughs> it's it's unfortunate because I really like Norwich. I like their technical director, Stuart Weber. You know, I always blow their trumpet on this podcast, but... When it was 1-0 and Puki was missing so yeah. many chances, yeah. I thought Wolves, their second half team, they're going to come back and they're going to put Norwich to the sword. And so they did. I just want to shine a spotlight on Adama Traore because I said it on record that for me, he's the most dangerous player in the Premier League. I just feel that he's getting to the level where teams are just hacking him down now. They don't care about winning the ball. They don't care about taking yellow cards. It's just stop Traore and you practically stop Wolves. Um, do you think that's true though with um, Wolves if you stop him you stop Wolves I know he's not a main maybe because threat, but... the thing is about Wolves is that they have different ways of scoring mm. they can score from set pieces you know Yota and Jimenez they link up well so I think mm. it, it helps I wouldn't say it's going to stop them but it's a good win for Wolves and it keeps them in contention for the top four fair point alright um, so moving on now um, Brighton hosted Sheffield at the Amex and um, and just a point to say, uh, Sheffield United have um, been unbeaten in 18 games away from home, uh, nine in the Premier League. Um, and the reason I make this point is because 
Uh, Dot raised a very, very interesting point a little while back. I don't even know if it was on air. I think it might have been off air. But he was saying whenever a team is about to hit a particular milestone, they have a a game or a fixture which really is like the real acid test. So, for example, when you um, go back to Arsenal's Mm, uh, unbeaten mm. run, the 50th game was Mm -hmm. against um, United. Now, the fact that Sheffield United are 18 unbeaten... The next two away fixtures for them are City City and and Liverpool. Liverpool. Wow. (laughs) So if they can keep that unbeaten run going, honestly, we have to applaud and salute them because that Mm. is going to take some doing. Um, But to go into the game in particular, Dot, share your thoughts on on this one. McGoldrick. Oh, yeah, can't hit a job. barn door with a banjo. <laughs> I mean, he's such a hard worker as well. Yeah, he's, he's a good player. He's all round game for the team. He's link up play. He's work rate. He ticks every single box. Mm. But the only box that he doesn't tick mm. is that he can't score mm. football mm. going in the mm. Premier League. Mm. Um, Sheffield United doing what Sheffield United do. They were a bit under par um, yesterday, but they got the win. And I mean, Chris Wilder again. I said it last week. I asked you guys when did they give out the gong for the manager of the year? Mm -hmm. No one answered me. (laughs) Cut this competition short and just give it to Chris Wilder because he's done a terrific job Mm -hmm. at Sheffield United. And I see them finishing in mid-table this season. I mean, Sheffield United, they show they're a multifaceted team. Mm -hmm. They can win, they can attack, play that beautiful football with the inverted free full um, wing um, centre-back, sorry. Mm -hmm. But um, yesterday's game was all about grinding it out Mm -hmm. and seizing your opportunities I've always mentioned that this Brighton side is still wet behind the ears yeah, in no. this new style of football. <laughs> you know, they play further, higher up. And the way to beat that is to play the ball over the top of their centre-backs. And we saw yesterday them having a lot of problems with the direct ball, which one of them, you know, from Dean Henderson culminated in um, Oliver McBurney's goal. Mm-hmm. That was an exquisite finish for someone that hasn't really scored at this level. Mm-hmm. And to see that accomplished in the finish was very, very impressive. And this is a guy that scored like 24 goals last season in the championship. But mm-hmm. we all know going that step up is much more difficult. Of course. And it's very ironic because Sheffield United's last defeat away was to Swansea who were managed by Graham Potter. Mm. And I believe McBurney was the guy yeah, to yeah, score yeah, that yeah, goal. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was a funny omen. Mm. Um, as we've said on this show, Chris Wilder can't speak highly enough of him. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that's won, you know, League Manager of the Year, League One. League Manager of the Year, Championship. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so I think we're seeing a trend that yeah, this yeah. guy is not, you know, like a flash, a flash in the pan. In the pan. Yeah. He's not yeah. a flash yeah. in the pan at all. He's a really, really top manager. and. Mm-hmm. People talk about Pep or Klopp being the best manager in the world, but I think this guy's got a claim to say he's a top, top manager because Mm. it's not about just having the resources and doing what people Mm. expect, but gathering and, you know, getting a team together, Mm -hmm. playing how you want. And we can see this is sustainable. This Mm. has been a, a climb from like rags to riches and I don't see it letting up. 100%. 100%. I think this weekend certainly was a weekend full of milestones and, and key moments. Um, and, and that was particularly the case in this next um, fixture that we're going to go into and, and analyse, <laughs> which was between Newcastle and Palace, hosted at oh. uh, St. James's Park. Miguel Almiron managed Finally. to score his first Premier League goal after 27 games without one. Um, de- uh, Dot, take us away on this. What are your thoughts on the game? I think those scenes at um, St. James's Park is what football is all about. Yeah. Mm. I mean, Almiron celebrating with the, the young fan yeah, was just yeah, amazing yeah. to mm. see. And I think someone actually tweeted it on Twitter that, yeah, Almiron celebrating with my son. Um, so that was good to see. Yeah. And I think this is going to be a monkey off of his back. I mean, mm. 
this is a guy when he's in front of goal you see that he's been lacking confidence mm-hmm. he's been overthinking it and Steve Bruce just said sometimes you're just unlucky in life and he's been unlucky um Again, Newcastle are, are doing absolutely amazing. We're mm. quick to jump the gun and say Chris Wilder should be the manager of the year. Yeah, he's Steve overshadowing, Bruce, yeah. If Steve not Bruce for Chris is Wilder, doing an excellent it, yeah, job. Yeah. He's doing a better job than what Rafa Benitez was doing. Mm. And when... Turned everyone, changed everyone's opinions of, of him as well, right? um, Not mm. me, because when Newcastle employed Steve Bruce, I said, Dej, we're very quick to call managers a dinosaur. Mm. Well, you know... Very quick to say, oh, he's a blast of the past. But mm-hmm. I said Steve Bruce is actually a decent manager. Mm-hmm. And the job that he done at Hull and Sunderland goes under the radar. Mm-hmm. And the job that he's doing at Newcastle has gone under the radar again. And he's doing terrific. So well done to Steve Bruce. Mm. Um, yeah, just to analyse the game, obviously Newcastle as well. As I said about Norwich, you know, building your base at home. Newcastle unbeaten in their last eight home games. The last defeat was opening day of the season against mm-hmm. Arsenal when they won 1-0. Good to see Almiron scored, but I've got a grievance with the defending. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know a long ball goes into Andy Carroll. Your thought is meant to think second balls. Mm-hmm. I need to get in and mm-hmm. around that area. And he was there vacant. You know, mm-hmm. he could have done what he wanted and it was a good finish. You know, we all know Palace's issues are a striker. I mean, they've got a striker at the club that scores goals. But the problem is he's playing his football in Turkey. You know, Saul <laughs> he's got like a nine in the he's last 14 games. <laughs> yeah, but he's been prolific. Yeah, but there's the thing is, is that um, Roy Hodgson came out and said we defended the cross so well mm. up onto the 82nd minute. So and sometimes that happens. That, but one thing I didn't understand is why was IU marking Andy Carroll? That was the only problem I had with the goal. But ultimately, they did defend well when it came to aerial balls from Newcastle. Yeah, but to be fair, that's it's moments one moment lapse of concentration especially last 10 mm. they're getting fatigued mentally and they switched off and that mm. cost them the game I mean Palace have failed to score in 8 of their last 18 Premier League games that shows where their issues lie mm. lack of you know lack of a striker Benteke he had a few attempts but when he shoots now you're not convinced he's mm. shooting for shooting sake mm-hmm. not shooting to score and, you know, Dubravka made a few key saves from, you know, Zaha and Benteke. But all in all, a great afternoon for Newcastle. Fair point. All right, moving on now. Still with you, Dej. Um, we're going to analyse the uh, game between Bournemouth and Burnley. Oh, you're uh, giving me a bad one. The vitality. An absolute smashing grab. Yeah. Um, so the goal that was scored was actually the first shot on oh, target God. all game. And, 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 and that was what won the game. Um, what are your thoughts on that game? I mean, Jay Rodriguez, header, as you mentioned, smash and grab. To mention the dire situation of this game, there was five shots produced and this was the lowest since data was recorded in 2003, 2004. Mm. But again, this is what we get with Bournemouth. They're kind of up and down. Yeah, one yeah. minute they're beating mm, a, make sense. One minute they're beating a big boy. Next minute they're losing to, you know, a mid-table team. Mm. But they'll always stay in the division because mm-hmm. it kind of like cancels itself yeah, out. Yeah, so if you yeah, said yeah. you lose to Chelsea, but you beat Thingy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Burnley. That, that's the sort of situation mm. they're in. And um, yeah, that's as much as I can say about the game. I think, like, I just want to shout out um, Rodriguez because he was actually doing very, very well at Southampton before yeah. he picked up that yeah. nasty injury. Yeah. And he was, you know, in 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 the... Um, international fold. Yeah. In the yeah, international yeah, yeah. fold for England. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of talk that he was going to get called up for England. 
And it was around the time where um, Shaw was and there yes, still, yes, when yes. Lallana yeah, and Southampton and, played. Yeah. And it's interesting because at Burnley, he's fell down the pecking order. We mm. all know that um, mm. Barnes and Woods are the, the two main mm. frontmen. Mm-hmm. But for him to come on as a substitute and score the winning goal, it's just a statement to Sean Dyche that, hello, I'm still here yeah. and I can score goals and help you out. So it's good to see him getting back onto the score sheet. Okay, cool. Thanks for that. Um, so now we've covered the weekend's fixtures. We're going to bring back the unpopular opinion. It's been a little while since we've we've had yeah, one of these. Yeah, it has, man. Um, so, I miss this, man. Yeah, 100%. One of my favourite parts of I'm, the podcast. I'm, I'm <laughs> always excited to hear what, uh, what what's going to be brought up. So, um, Dej, I believe you're going to uh, c- uh, cover the unpopular opinion this week. Let us know what is your unpopular opinion. People might say it's wild. People might say it's clickbait. But in my opinion, Pep Guardiola is not a better manager than Chris Wilder. I mean, I'm going to tell you why. This is a manager that started, you know, in the county leagues, mm-hmm. the Northern County Leagues. Mm-hmm. And he's managed to, you know, rise, doing it the hard way, mm-hmm. you know, going from Alfreton Town, going to, you know, Halifax, going to Northampton, Oxford, and having tough jobs mm-hmm. where he's been managing, you know, cash-strapped teams and mm-hmm. managed to still be successful. Let me read out his accolades in terms of individual gongs. League Manager of the Year, 2015-16 for League 2 LMA League 1 Manager of the Year 16-17 LMA Championship Manager of the Year 18-19 LMA Manager of the Year 2018-19 as I mentioned he started his managerial career at Alfreton Town won a quadruple won the League League Cup President Cup and Derbyshire Cup went to Halifax and was in charge until they got liquidated so this is a man that can manage mm-hmm. when it's adverse. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, Pep Guardiola, he's always had, you know, plush resources mm-hmm. to, to navigate. So Went then, to Oxford in his mm-hmm. first full season. They were top of the table of the conference, and, you know, by five points. They were mm-hmm. overtaken. You know, they ran out of steam, overtaken, and were consigned to the playoffs. But mm-hmm. still, he managed to get them promoted. Mm-hmm. First season back in the Football League after four years, a four years hiatus, guided them to mid-table. Went to Northampton, battled against relegation after taking over. When he took over, they were in the relegation zone, strapped cashed, about to go into the station. <laughs> <laughs> you know, guided them out of the relegation. Next season, went to mid-table. The following season, guided them to 99 points and won the league title. Sheffield United joined them when they were in League One. No financial backing. All of his signings had to be free signings. A lot of journeymen as well. Lots mm-hmm. of lots of journeymen. One point from his first four games went on to secure the title. 100 points. Two promotions in three years. Runners up to Norwich in the championship. Doing what he's doing now. I think sometimes we're quick to say, oh, Pep, man, did you see him? He was reinventing the wheel. But for mm-hmm. me, people that do stuff like, you know, getting a team promoted and going into Europe like a Nigel Clough, those are the real heroes in football. When you're given, you know, all the resources to say, you know, make this team better. Of course, it's easier. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. But Chris Wilder, how he's managed to forge his career, I don't think you can say Pep Guardiola is definitive, definitively a better manager. Than so, are you saying that Chris Wilder is a better manager than Pep? No, I'm saying that. What you- are you saying? Who's the better coach? So obviously Chris Wilder's had to deal with several adversity that Pep hasn't. Yeah. So you're trying to say as a collective, as a whole, talking about it from a holistic point of yes. view, you're saying that Chris Wilder deals with situations better in terms of player relationships, you know, bringing clubs from the dance, um, signing journeymen mm. to get them out mm. of, you know, 
horrible situations? Are you saying as a whole, he's a better manager, but who's a better coach? I'm saying as a manager, Pep Guardiola can't claim to be better than Chris Wilder, in Mm. my opinion, because... Again, when we look at Chris Wilder's career, battling adversity, he hasn't had it given to him on a silver plate or mm. gold plate. He hasn't had a Lionel Messi. Mm. He's had to forge yeah, but you can't use You can't use that. Or oh, Worcester, 500 I'm not, million. I'm not beating you can't Pep with that. He can't spend 50 Pep. million on a fullback. Like, I think in football, we're very elitist. Oh, he's the best manager. Mm-hmm. He's, we're very dismissive mm-hmm. of these managers that do their job in a different way. Mm. Like, I put this question to you both. If you... Swap managers, mm-hmm. uh, Sheffield United and Manchester City. So if Chris Wilder was given the City job mm-hmm. and Pep was given the Sheffield United job, what do you think happens? What, with the same amount of time? So basically, um, you just literally swap them or has Pep Guardiola had time to build this Sheffield United squad in his image? Because that's one of the key questions you need to actually ask me. You can't no. just say it in retrospect. No, I'm talking about as you've got these teams now. So Sheffield United... They just had a change of manager so you, in the season. You know, you know the answer? I don't know. That's, nah, I, I can't, I think, I can't I think, answer you. We don't I know what Sheffield will happen. United, I think Pep because this needs... Sheffield, because the thing is about Chris Wilder, I can make the argument that he needs the underdog. He needs players that mm. have been in the dumps to, mm. to work well. But when he has to manage big egos, can he do that? Mm. And the perfect case in point is the Dean Henderson situation. When he made that clangor against Liverpool, he came out and he was a bit harsh on his player. But that's he didn't control he his player. His player. And have, exactly. you seen Dean Henderson? That... have you seen Dean Henderson after the incident? Yeah, but let's say he for said example, he needed that. But he embraced mm. that. But so he's that, young... again, that's knowing Man your players. Yeah. When you mm. know your players, you know, okay, I can challenge him mm. or I can tell him off. Okay, but I then... can't say that to John mm. because he might take it the wrong way yeah. and that can affect his confidence yeah but we know that Chris Wilder is very blunt with his players but will that work with a Sergio Aguero will that work with a Raheem Sterling but, these are players that want to be cajoled these are players that want to be told that I'm the best in the world but what Chris Wilder has learned throughout his rise through the leagues is that he can adapt to any situation mm-hmm. he can come through adversity and come out the other side mm. so I think the job that he's done over you know a 5-10 year period I think is slept on people don't mm. recognise that no, this I, was a guy that started not even, you know, conference non-league. Mm. This is like pyramid eight, nine. Mm. And to see himself, you know, at the top table of English football, I think it's a remarkable of achievement. And the steady progress, re- winning the LMA manager of the end, League Two, League One yeah, championship. Yeah, it's consistent. That, yeah, that shows that yeah. this is an, a one-off. No, this is, a, this is, Chris Wilder is a very good manager. I know mm. Dej is his number one fan. But come on, this is Pep Guardiola we're Again, talking about. I know mindset. it's the elitist this is main mindset, 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 but that's just how the world works. That's how football yeah, works. Think, that's how I any sport wrong. works. I think it's wrong and I think his work needs to be put on a serious pedestal Mm -hmm. and again even if Liverpool win the Premier League that's like a natural progression but if Sheffield United can finish in the top seven top eight he's my manager of the year Mm. because manager of the year is gauged on what you do with the resources given to you and what he's doing I said that we should cut the the accolade short because Chris Mm. Wilder should have it already regardless Mm. and I fully agree Fair point. All right. I think that's a really interesting one. And and again, one that we'd like to hear the listeners' views on. You came with stats and facts to, to, to support yeah, your, ready, your arguments. So, well, um, argument yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I really appreciate that. Um, okay, we're going to wrap things up now with the prospects of the week. Huh. Um, so, just a reminder for those of you who may not be familiar with what this segment is. It's our favourite segment of the episode. Essentially, the prospect of the week is not a good thing 
I repeat once again, a prospect of the week is not a good thing. It is a player or someone who is within uh, football who has been operating at the top level for a number of seasons, a number of years, however, is making mistakes as though they are uh, under the, the bright lights for the very first time. So baggy touches, overhit passes, rash challenges, moments of absolute madness, <laughs> poor selections from managers. Um, we've seen recently the press been uh, been 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 called into account for some horrible front front uh, front pages. It can literally be anyone and anything within football that just had an absolute bad day at the office this weekend so with that being said guys take it away who is your prospect of the week this is actually interesting because I was thinking Son mm. nah Gazaniga yeah both of them had mares yeah you have to be real um, but when I look at it man I feel like I got egg on my face mm. all throughout this week I was in my teams of the decade <laughs> And this man was a firm fixture in between those posts. I was singing his praises, mm-hmm. but today he had a massive clang. I mean, I was speaking about, you know, treating the ball like you're handling a bar of soap. <laughs> and he lost his team the game. This mm. is a man that was used to winning his team games. Mm. But certainly that error led, you know, Wan-Bissaka to think, you know, I'm going to chuck it in as well. Yeah, I <laughs> No, I think we're on the same page here and I think what we're going to create go? some The Beautiful Game podcast <laughs> Prospects of the Week history because I back up your view with David De Gea being the yeah. Prospect of the Week. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, well, that's a first. That's the first time you've well, we actually, actually agreed on something like that. Because with David De Gea, is he world-class? He's not world-class anymore. This is a goalkeeper that's finished. Like We, ha- we mm. have to be real. We saw it with Pepe Reina. When mm. Pepe Reina had a drop-off in form, you never recover. Mm. And David De Gea is now an average to good goalkeeper. So what, you think he's beyond the point of return? Yeah, it's tier two now. It's tier two, mm. tier three. Do you think it's got something to do with confidence? Confidence for what? Or is it how, just... How long do we say confidence? I think he came out recently and said, you know what, like sometimes you have to look at it and say, we've got a quality issue in the squad. Mm-hmm. So obviously he's not confident with the players surrounding him, but mm-hmm. still... You still, need to have your you, bread and butter. Yes, you mm-hmm. need to do what you need to do as a goalkeeper. And he left his defence in the lurch with that poor piece of goalkeeping. Mm. And he saw the cameras pan on him. He was looking down like he wanted the ground to swallow him mm. up. Like it was For terrible. Figure. Mm. Terrible. Mm. And he cost these 10 points. So. so I'm not sure if David De Gea listens to the podcast, but David De Gea... If you're listening... You're, You're the my prospect <laughs> of the week. <laughs> that, that's a great but, one. That you know what? Because we had the same one, we created history. Yeah. It's always good to hear another opinion. What do you think about the Do post- you know what? I'm going to keep on um, the theme of goalkeepers. Okay. And you guys uh, alluded to it a little earlier on. And for me, I couldn't look past this mm. particular clangor that, that, that he made. Um, we've, we've gone on record and mentioned um, in previous episodes that it's really important for your keeper to instill confidence into your back line. And he doesn't. And, mm. and, and, you know, if you've got your, your, you know, your, your centre halves and your full backs worried about anything, a safe pair of hands just brings calm to that back line. And Gazaniga uninstalls <laughs> confidence <laughs> he, he, in the back line. Uninstalls, <laughs> honestly. I mean, he, he was he, a he, rabbit he, in headlines. Yeah. Gazaniga. Just messy. Yeah. Clumsy, that, I, I just, it's <laughs> literally, how, what goes through your mind in that split second? 
What makes you think that that's the right thing to do? I just don't understand. What was he thinking? I I really would like to just pick his brains and understand. Okay, so what was your thought process? You know, what 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 did you see in front of you? What was the movement that made you decide that that was the yeah. the, the thing that you wanted to do? Well, do? You know what's crazy? He could have had another error, but he got saved by offside. He yeah. parried out the ball from um, Alonso's shot and Tammy Abraham tucked it in, but it was offside. But again, it was shocking yeah. goalkeeper. But there's a reason why he's been a number three at Tottenham and Southampton. Mm. You know, he was one of those goalkeepers that don't make the bench. You only make the bench if there's a serious injury crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and a real to show when you put journeyman. him in for like five to ten games, <laughs> you see himself implode, man. The final point I wouldn't say is that he's still better than Lloris. But yeah. You think so? Yeah, man. Mm. Lloris is... That's, another, that's, a, that's an unpopular opinion in itself, yeah. you know? <laughs> you know that? <laughs> that would be interesting to hear what people think about that one. But guys, thank you for sharing um, your prospects of the week. Listeners, we really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Uh, we've obviously got to draw it to a close now. Um, as always, help us to continue to grow our platform where we're evolving, we're moving forward, we're innovating. And you guys have been on the journey with us and will continue to. We've got big, big, big things coming in 2020. Mm-hmm. So continue to follow and, and support us. Um, we've got this mantra. Look, if you're not supporting us by uh, by choice next year, you're going to be supporting us by force because you are going to see us everywhere on your timeline <laughs> you're going to see us whether you follow us or not you're gonna see us so you might as well just follow mm. to be quite honest with you and with that being said make uh, i'm gonna plug our um twitter handle is at podcast underscore tbg as always we've got our content across all the different platforms spotify soundcloud apple podcasts if you're listening on the apple podcast make sure you leave a five-star review we're talking about engagement we're talking about growth of the platform and it's really really important that you do leave that review um because it helps in terms of the visibility of the platform um uh, make sure you share the content amongst your family members, your friends, your uh, your group chats, your work um, uh, colleagues, and all of the rest of it. Um, we we're, we're, the, the countdown has already started for the um, Christmas giveaway, so there's only a few days left. If you've not mm. yet listened to the Harry Panero episode, yeah, listen to it. Pounds for mm. free. Honestly, yeah, it's honestly. literally <laughs> a free. Uh, uh, you're, you're in with a chance to win. Um, a a Selfridges voucher man like it's a no brainer all you need to do is listen to the Harry Panera episode go onto our Twitter um, page and you'll see how to enter the uh, competition you're in with a chance to win so make sure you don't waste the opportunity as we mentioned already the uh, uh, competition closes at 9pm on Christmas Eve and then we're going to announce the winner so stay tuned because it could be you of course if you've entered that being said um, Merry Christmas to everyone yeah, Merry Christmas yeah, to Merry everybody Christmas, yeah this is this is going to be on behalf of the, the, TBG pod like you know um, enjoy yourselves yes stuff your faces with your food it. with Schler your boys. chicken with your Schler. turkey yeah 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 you know, 100% I'm going to be eating eat and myself, be merry man enjoying myself and that's what it's all about yes you know the season of goodwill the festive period 100%. spending time with your loved ones and yeah we just hope you enjoy it that's it man alright so I'm looking over at Dot do I get a stamp of approval? Everything all good? Signed, sealed and delivered. Fantastic. Love that. All right, listeners, until the next episode, over and out. Peace. Peace. 
Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.